Recorded live in Manhattan's East Village at St. Mark's Church in the Bowery, this is The Poetry Project. Tonight, I'm really thrilled to welcome Jen Hoffer and Robin Cost-Lewis. It's really like, I can't tell you how excited I am to have them both here. It's really a special night for me just because um, both of them are so expansive in their kind of world understanding and practice, and I'm so glad to host them. Um, we'll have Jen first, and then we'll have a short break, and then Robin will come. Uh, and with that, we begin, yeah. So, Jen Hoffer is a Los Angeles-based poet, translator, social justice interpreter, teacher, knitter, bookmaker, public letter writer, urban cyclist and co-founder with John Pluker of the Language Justice and, Je and Language Experimentation Collaborative Antenna. She publishes poems and translations with numerous small presses, including action books, Achilos, Belladonna, Counterpath, Kenning Editions, Insert Press, Le Figue, Litmus, LRI, LRL, Textile Editions, New Lights Press, Palm Press, Sub Press, Ugly Duckling Press, and in various DIY, DIT incarnations. So before I start her formal introduction, I wanna say that Jen, I first met her, actually met her in person at a reading that I was giving in Los Angeles. She sat down next to me and was sewing, physically sewing together a book that she was making and she sewed through the reading, throughout the reading, really making a book and also sewing a book and for someone like me who's sort of klutzy, like this is like an important thing. Like it's, it's sort of a manifestation of, you know, who somebody really is, like that they can make things with their hands. And Jen is, that's what she does. That's who she is. So I'm gonna steal a compositional practice of Jen's in this brief and surely inadequate introduction to her manifold projects. And she won't approve this word, but also her standing in the poetry world. In a Harriet post a couple of years ago, Jen interspersed the thought and writing of other friends and compatriots throughout her writing, which I experienced visually as a kind of flight of birds, representing a dispersal of human energy that was simple and profound. Jen's practices of translation, poem writing, bookmaking, and sewing invoke the same centripetal force, which scatters language out of its nominal frame. She writes, who am I when I'm writing your words, thinking your thoughts, forming my hands and mouth into your syntax or into a version of your syntax, shifted to fit into my syntax, which shifts to make space for your syntax? That's from her essay, Deterritorializations, Nominal Problems, and Harriet from April of 2013. She writes, I have no interest in being primary, and I often wonder how to be myself, whether under the spell of something or someone else, or in any context. These statements are a clue about the aspect of Jen Hoffer's work that's on the cutting edge of, as they say, quote, rethinking subjectivity in contemporary poetry. And she reminds us that to rethink is to reassociate. It's necessary to reassess and differentiate oneself from the materials the writing attempts dialogue with. It's not easy to say any of this, and it's not easy to do. 
She writes, don't be shy in a series of Jacket 2 posts called Affinities, Affections, and Elections, where she describes actually how it is that one comes to sort of reorganize one's knowledge about what poetry world is about. You know, how do you reconfigure your understanding of who's writing now, where you should read, how you should read, how do you find that work? And this is actually like a central problem of audience for all of us who curate, for all of us who publish. And coming from her, this is a radical command. It's not a request and it's not an exhortation to take one's writing and thinking practice outside its blankets. Not the opposite of shyness, but its apparational opposite is the attribute of fearlessness. Implicit in the command, don't be shy, is the command to put aside fear of persons unknown. Perhaps that putting aside is the terrain of translation, or maybe it's just a way of being in the world, Jen's way of being in the world, to instruct us in the way of unlearning our habits of social life. Please welcome Jen Hoffer to the Poetry Project. Thank you for that amazing introduction, Simone. And thank you for making it possible for me to be here. Um, <clears throat> so um, Simone mentioned how not easy it is uh, to be a writer, to be in the world, um, to be a human person who cares about other human persons. and. Um, I am blessed to be fairly often reminded about how worthwhile it is to continue engaging in the not easiness or the not easefulness um, and having the opportunity to read with a dear, beloved, amazing, brilliant friend um, and a poet whose work I've respected for many years is a delight and to be introduced by a dear, beloved, amazing friend, poet whose work I've respected for many years is a delight. Um, and I often think of, um, I was talking a little bit in the workshop that I'm teaching right now through the project yesterday, I think it was yesterday, or maybe it was 100 years ago, I can't remember, but um, about sort of an anti-heroic or anti-expert stance as a practicer of various arts of thinking and making. Um, and I think often of being part of a much larger conversation than any one self can be part of. And so being at the Poetry Project, which is a place that I have loved for many, many years, um, where many writers whose work inspires me have come through here, and being in conversation with writers like Simone and Robin reminds me um, why I do what I do and the kinds of conversations that I want to participate in. So toward that end, I am going to try to do, no, I'm not going to try. I'm going to do three things this evening. Um, I am going to read this little chapbook, which is for sale on that table back there, published by local Los Angeles Press, Insert Blanc Press. Um, it is a quilted poem. Then I'm going to read from a little DIY homemade book, which is a uh, research-based piece of writing from a manuscript that I'm just finishing. And then I'm going to for the first time ever allowed, read from some experimental translations that have their translator's notes embedded in them. And I would actually genuinely love feedback about how people feel about hearing that live. So that's my plan, and now I'm gonna enact the plan. <laughs> okay. The Missing Link. 
Troy, New York. Human body, its parts wonder, persuade, etc. Endeavor in motion, work gladly wears conscience, conscience. Silence, confirm, depend, military transport, perform, ideal, observe, ignorance, ignorance. Legislature, apparatus, announce, expansion, mission, depend, depend, violent electricity, ideal you tried to imagine, etc. Cleveland, Ohio, correct relative bearing. Question, question. Maximum, maximum. Error, question, miles. Absorbent, question. Will, power, power, question. Factor, wave, circuit, question, question. Phase, rating, power. Power, question, source. Source, voltage, question. Factor, impress, impress, question. Shall I listen? Am I near? May I stop listening? Shall I listen? Chicago, Illinois, test kit. Radio waves, light waves, emptiness permeated planet, surface day, year, gravity light diameter. An instance exposure clusters solar wind, surrounding steam, air beyond the atmosphere, balloon forces shooting missile, hurtling into space, million miles, million particles, in flight, biting the known sun. Lawrence, Kansas, thinking. Say the words, who lives, sings. Say the words, who lives, hides. Say the words, who lives, lives. Wing bat, rainy in the weather. All wire makes a wing bat. In the rainy, rainy weather, who lives, who lives, who lives. Pictures in each square say the words. Say the words, for who lives says the words. Florence, Colorado, cinema. The last little hair appears female. Before choice, female and available. Before it can be during, you can appear female. In addition, odd. Several females destined the last little luxuriant, slight curly hair. Before can be during, can be discharge, can be several combined, a little female library. St. George, Utah, bees, great flocks, weather, common, common few, migrate, groups gather, weather gathers, flies, at any rate, parts of another, hides, angle wing, parts hibernate, seen other gather, migrate, gather, bees, moths, butterflies, scorpion flies, animals, groups and fly, gather, spring, gather, weather. Los Angeles, California, 
lost my title. Amazing. Oh, there it is. Los Angeles, California, Direction of Prevailing Wind. Joint Wall Nails West, Prevailing Mountain Mesh Maroon, West Diverter Willow Bond, Willow Pass Shingles, Across Loose Flatland Bond, Cross as the Wind Prevails, Snowmass Funnel is Lake and bond, all loose and flat and protruding west, old large joint wall, illustrated west. Mesh bond, a mountain bond. So I'm gonna really quickly explain how I wrote this, but I also want people who are standing to feel like they can clatter across the reading with total impunity and sit down if you wanna sit down. Um, so I wrote this book when I was bringing my sweetheart home to Los Angeles to come and live with me, and in every place where we slept, we slept in seven places across the US, I gathered, found, and thrifted um, materials that had text and image, and I made um, quilt pad, this is the log cabin quilt pattern, but I made a missing link in the interior, um, because that is the title of this text, and the texts that I read, the poems, all come only from words found on the quilt pieces. So there's more to say about it. There's, you can read about it in the back of the book. But anyway, that's how they were made. I made the quilted poem pieces first, and then I extracted text to make, to make the poems. Um, so this is a small homemade book from a larger manuscript called Less Than One, More Than One. You can, yeah, I was going to say you can turn that off. Whatever. We do not see what we do not see. We regard the weather as a weapon. Anything one can use his way is a weapon, and the weather is as good as any. Admiral Pierre St. Amand, Naval Ordnance Laboratory, China Lake, California, 1972. One's seeing it today when it has occurred really before and not using memory for it. Memory occurs on its own. One's seeing it anyway as if in or by forgetting rather than at the time of its occurring. I only remember it later but I'm seeing it by forgetting later and while it's occurring. And then this seeing is not a silent proceeding. Leslie Scalapino and Lynn Higinian. If it's going to inform how targeting is done, whether that targeting is bad guys, development, or governance, how our information is used is how it's going to be used. Anthropologist Audrey Roberts, Human Terrain System Program, Department of Defense. Seeds, clouds, formations, nuclei, silver, salt, pressure, saturation, propane, flare, accumulation, nucleation, atmosphere, vapor, modification, crystallization. Operation Popeye, also called Operation Intermediary and Operation Compatriot, was a US military cloud seeding project running from March 20th, 1967 until July 5th, 1972 during the Vietnam War to extend the monsoon season over North Vietnam, specifically the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Seeds, clouds, formations, 
nuclei. Infinite resolve, infinite promise, infinite execution, infinite succession, infinite interception, silver, salt, pressure, saturation. Infinite reach, infinite response, infinite addition, infinite strike, infinite retaliation, infinite strafe, propane, flare, accumulation, nucleation. Infinite operation, infinite delay, infinite assertion, infinite surge, infinite contingency, atmosphere, vapor, modification, crystallization. Infinite justice, enduring freedom, infinite ultimatum, enduring striation, infinite strife, enduring infinity. The operation seeded Vietnamese clouds with silver iodide, resulting in the targeted areas seeing an extension of the monsoon period an average of 30 to 45 days. To defeat or coerce, to trigger or train, to trip or seed. Seeds, clouds, formations, nuclei. Infinite resolve, enduring promise, infinite execution, enduring succession, infinite interception, unilateral droughts, unilateral floods, unilateral hurricanes, unilateral earthquakes, unilateral clouds. To season or soften, to increase or cloud, to saturate or span, silver, salt, pressure, saturation. Infinite reach, enduring response, infinite addition, enduring strike, infinite retaliation, enduring strafe, unilateral rains, unilateral fog, unilateral monsoons, unilateral typhoons, unilateral seeds. To induce or incur, to disrupt or subsidize, to alter or inform, propane, flare, accumulation, nucleation. Infinite operation, enduring delay, infinite assertion, enduring surge, infinite contingency, unilateral particles, unilateral front, unilateral turbulence, unilateral pressure, unilateral system. To select or deny, to surface or slide, to target or pressure or classify. Atmosphere, vapor, modification, crystallization. Infinite justice, enduring freedom. Infinite ultimatum, enduring striation. Infinite strife, enduring infinity. Unilateral precipitation, unilateral patterns, unilateral mass, unilateral weather, unilateral nuclei. The goal was to increase rainfall in carefully selected areas to deny the Vietnamese enemy the use of roads by softening road surfaces, causing landslides along roadways, wa washing out river crossings, and maintaining saturated soil conditions beyond the normal time span. Just write down a number, any number, and follow it with more numbers, and keep writing numbers for a week. You will find, in that strange exercise, more patterns than you'd ever imagine, and you'll find mysteries, too. There is beauty and magic in numbers, but please, as I speak of infinity, don't worry that I am trying to tell you an infinite tale. Sherman Alexie. To defeat or coerce, to trigger or train, to trip or seed. Seeds, clouds, formations, nuclei. We do not see glaring, layered sunspots. We do not coerce, we do not defeat, we trigger, we train, we do not glare, layer, spot, see, we seed. We resolve. We do not promise, we execute, we intercept, we do not succeed, we do not see, we see what we seed when we do not see. Infinite resolve, enduring promise, infinite execution, enduring succession, infinite interception, unilateral droughts, unilateral floods, unilateral hurricanes, unilateral earthquakes, unilateral clouds. To season or soften, to increase or cloud, to saturate or span, silver, salt, 
pressure, saturation. We do not see sunspots over shadow dazzled ammo silvery. We do not shadow dazzle aim sliver intercept. We do not intercept, we do not add, we reach. We do not respond, we strike. We see, we retaliate, we shave, silver, strafe, seed. We do not see what we see, we see what we see. Infinite reach, enduring response. Infinite addition, enduring strike. Infinite retaliation, enduring strafe. Unilateral rains, unilateral fog, unilateral monsoons, unilateral typhoons, unilateral seeds. To induce or incur, to disrupt or subsidize, to alter or inform. Propane, flare, accumulation, nucleation. Saturated, we choose not to see strafing, flaring, saturated, we do not saturate, strafe, flare, filter, we filter, do not delay, we delay. We assert, we surge, we coalesce, we do not transmit, we refract, we do not see, particles dazzle, transparent, light surge. We see what we do not see and do not see. Infinite operation, enduring delay. Infinite assertion, enduring surge. Infinite contingency, unilateral particles, unilateral front, unilateral turbulence, unilateral pr pressure, unilateral system. To select or deny, to surface or slide. To target or pressure or classify. Atmosphere, vapor. Modification, crystallization. Flagging, fogging, we force ourselves to see cumulously. We do not cloud, we occur. We fog, we force, concur, consent, conceive. We do not endure, we see infinity finite. We precipitate pattern mass. We do not pattern, we amass, amortize, airborne. We do not see air, we seed. We see infinity in a striated cloud. Infinite justice, enduring freedom. Infinite ultimatum, enduring striation. Infinite strife, enduring infinity. Unilateral precipitation, unilateral patterns, unilateral mass unilateral weather, unilateral nuclei. The reasoning is particularly difficult because it always starts with a recounting of past actions which obviously cannot be prohibited. I think that if dealing with the past, we must also note that had anyone known that it would not have been effective, it would never have been proposed. Assistant Director Davies, U.S. Arms Control and Disarmament Agency, 1976. The Washington Post is reporting, the administration appears to be dropping the phrase, the global war on terror. In a memo sent to staffers this week, a Pentagon security official writes, this administration prefers to avoid using the term long war or global war on terror. Please use overseas contingency operation. Democracy Now!, March 25th, 2009. Our body is a weapon. Our body is a receptacle. Our body is a tunnel. Our body is a fog. Our body is a permeating air. Our body is a permeating air full of chemicals. Our body is a force field. Our body is a drone. Our body is a monitor. Our body is a camera. Our body is buying power. Our body is an unknown agent. Our body is an undisclosed substance. Our body is a cluster of bodies unseen. We see what we see. We do not see what we do not see. To defeat or coerce, to trigger or train, to trip or seed, to force or force forward or flag, to flare, to alert, to dazzle, to dizzy, to derail, to detonate, to annotate, to scatter. 
We do not seed, we do not cloud, we do not formulate, we do not cohere. Draped, striated, unseen in crystalline clouds, modified. We silver, we salt, we pressurize, we saturate. To induce or incur, to disrupt or subsidize, to alter or inform, to measure, to induct, to train or contain, not to see, to check, to point. We do not propel, we do not flare, we do not accumulate, we do not liquefy. Checked, fractured, flared, fragmented, clouded, to target, to allow to cloud. We atomize, we vaporize, we modify, we crystallize, we do not see, we seed our seen. We do not see what we do not see, what we do not see we do not see, what we choose not to see we choose not to have to see, what we have to see we see. We choose not to choose to have to force ourselves not to see, to see not to force, to have to force ourselves to see, what has been seen cannot not be seen, what has not been seen cannot see to be seen, cannot not have been not seen, cannot see not to see, we do not see not seeing, we do not see not seeing, not seeing we do not see. We do not see glaring layered sunspots overshadowing what we do not see. Overshadowing what we do not see, shadowed we do not see sunspots. We do not overshadow dazzled ammo. What we choose not to see in newsprint, we choose not to have to see in newsprint. Die cut, cut and dry commentaries, flattering what we have to see, we see flaring. If only we could choose not to, flattening. If only we could choose ensnared, flagging, to have to force ourselves not to dazzle, to shadow, not to see, to see. Not to force. Not to have to force ourselves to see forcibly what has been forced open or draped. To be seen cannot not be seen. Not depicted what has not been seen. Cannot see. Gouged to be seen. Measurable distance. Cannot not have been not seen. Immeasurable depth. Cannot see sonar bricked. Not to see boxed. We do not not see. To check to point. Not seeing the facts. We do not see the fractures. Not seeing not seeing. We fragment. We target. We do not see. We do not see what we do not see. A crochet suddenly deviates within the sunlit geomagnetic field. The daytime layer which absorbs the field, having been told to absorb differently, to stitch differently, to flare against the large solar flare in the classified field, flares out, rainfall, declassified droplets, droplets not to force. Thanks. Okay, here's the total experiment part. These are poems by the Uruguayan writer Virginia Lucas. Um, Virginia, so this is from a book called Ame Rica, Tu Valor de Cambio. Uh, which I am provisionally translating as Ah, Me, Rich, Ah, Your Exchange Value, um, which will be published if I can ever finish the translations by the wonderful Litmus Press. Um, Virginia is from Uruguay, I probably mentioned that. She uses a lot of footnotes in her texts, and her texts are wonderfully impossible to translate, which is why I love them. And I decided to embed my translator's notes in the translations also as footnotes, um, which I could talk a lot about that, but I won't choose to talk about that. I'm just gonna try to read these out loud and 
see how it feels in my mouth and in your ears. And as I said before, um, I am genuinely interested in feedback about how this works for listeners. Um, so I'm going to read three poems and their translations. Um, this first one is called, um, and I'm going to read her footnotes and my own footnotes. Del abandono del número che, che, che. Por la defensa de la ley de infantería a de la reta. A los que se tajean para bajar del pegue del dolor. A los que se tajean para sentir. Y a esos que no hacen ni siquiera eso. Se le abre la vena. Si no le tolera el dolor, la sangre baja, le vuelve el ritmo de ese piso a flor de tierra. En la calle los paseantes tienen cuatro, cinco, seis, con suerte siete años, mis niños chiquitos con cuchillos, mis paseantes asaltando plaza de juegos, chillan sin championes, ni zapatillas ni chancletas. Nota uno. Che con énfasis rioplatense a la par, la repetición de 456 acompañada de gesto numérico en mano. Dicen palabra de túnica mugrienta que les calce el cuerpecito chiquito de hombre siendo desperdicio o despojo de polvo de fiesta de mi madre alguna tarde de piernas abiertas tirada contra la cama. Mi hermano jugó a despertarla y darle golpecitos, pero caía, ¿entendés que te quiero?, Cayó mi hermano en el comcar, cayó mi padre pasado de saber el nombre de la fiesta de mi madre. ¿Entendés que quiero lo que traes? Dame plata, dame lata, que me mires quiero, que me des bola, que tengo cuatro, cinco, seis y te voy a matar. Te juro que me la vas a pagar cuatro, cinco, seis veces. Tres niños solos, solitos van de a tres y tres no hace uno. Sin embargo, el asalto es la réplica del cuadro cuando una palabra aprieta en la boca. Dame, 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 cuatro, cinco, seis toneladas de besos, pero para ti ni un verso, mi niño. Para ti hacerte niño que quiero llorar y no decirte más cuatro, cinco, seis entradas que no, que, que no, que no puede ser, que ese número de golpes no va. Ta, me duele, para, para. Yo no fui, no hice nada, los tres lo hicimos. Retengo el cuchillo pequeño y vuelve a quedar pendiente tu edad, cuatro, cinco, seis líneas atrás, que tus años importan, que tus cifras valen más que la importancia de tus nombres. So the translation actually starts with a footnote. Totally not done, but here we go. Note, a note on notes. Virginia Lucas's work contains footnotes, some for purposes of explanation and some for purposes of expansion, counterpoint, provocation, peak. In translating Virginia's poems, I translate her forms and uses of language, including, of course, her notes. And in translating what is not translatable in her work, that is, what is most important to translate, the snags or tangles or collisions that don't readily succumb to expression in English, and hence become opportunities for us as readers to become translated, or for English to be de-Englished, I take recourse in the form of the note, for purposes of explanation, expansion, counterpoint, provocation, peak. That is, I'm following the lead of Virginia's poetics, even as I lead them astray. 
This is interventionist translation, perhaps, a form of ultra-translation, about which you can read more in the pamphlet, A Manifesto on Ultra-Translation, which is back there on the table or on the Antenna website, and is thus a little clunky and a little uncomfortable and a little lacking and a little excessive. It goes a little too far while not getting near enough. It's not quite right, as translation never gets things quite right. It's not about rightness or fixity or one-to-one -one correlation, not about digesting the source or hitting the target, but about the always-in-process-of-failing attempt to recognize the substance and context of something from somewhere else and bring that recognition here while remaining wondrously aware of the processes of transfer and of what resists transfer. Translator's note. And so you can tell the difference between my translator's notes, which say translator's note at the end, and Bidhinia's notes, which are just part of the poem. Of abandonment, of the number che, che, che. In defense of the infantry law for Adelarreta, to those who cut themselves to come down from beatings, from pain, to those who cut themselves in order to feel, and to those who don't even do that. The vein opens, or rather, pain is tolerated. The blood comes and the rhythm returns of that footstep low to the ground. On the street, the passers-by are four, five, six, or with luck, seven years old. My little kitties with switch blades, my passers-by committing assault on the playground screech with no champions, nor sneakers, nor flip-flop chancletas. Note, che with emphasis from the Rio de la Plata region. Likewise, the repetition of four, five, six, accompanied by a numerical gesture of the hand. To say nothing of the filthy tunic that clothes their little man bodies, being leftovers or spoils of the dust from the party my mother had one afternoon with her legs open, flung down on the bed my brother played at trying to wake her, raining little blows on her, but she was falling. Do you understand I love you? My brother fell to the Comcar. Note, Comcar is the municipal prison on the outskirts of Montevideo. Trans no translator's note. My father fell, rotten from knowing the name of my mother's Partying, do you understand I love what you bring? Give me dough, give me grief. I want you to look at me, to notice me, that I'm four, five, six, and I'm gonna kill you. I swear you'll pay for this four, five, six times over. Three boys alone, all alone, they're going in threes, and three doesn't make one. Nonetheless, assault is the replica of the image. When a word presses on the mouth, gimme, 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 four, five, six tons of kisses, but for you, not one single line, my niño for you to make a boy of you. I just want to cry and not say anything else. Four, five, six entries that can't, that can't be that number of blows isn't right. Ta, it hurts, stop, stop. It wasn't me. I didn't do anything, all three of us did it. I hold on to the little knife and once again your age remains unresolved. Four, five, six lines ago, that how old you are is significant, that your stats are worth more than the significance of your names. Thank you. <laughs> el sapo. Cambiar el juego, no las piezas del juego. André Breton. El sapo aplastado contra el suelo planito como una alfombra, como la masa de una pascualina, así 
en dibujito animado pasando por la planadora, por el rodillo, el sapo planito, planito, planito en superficie. El sapo no mira, es un sapo aplastado, no hecho plasta, plasta no, hecho plano. Sapo aplanado en la planicia del suelo, sapo finito si se levantara, pero no. Sapo prefiere ser chatito por amor al piso, por enamoradizo, por lámina angosta, finito, sapo, 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 papachip, sapo tiene pensamiento único. Podría ser rana finita, pero no. Escuarzo es genérico, como batracio, sapo aplastado de patas abiertas y chatas, chatitas, todavía verde, algo se le sale al planito, algo se le escapa, algo chatito también como él. Algo parecido a vísceras, si sapo tuviera algo más en superficie, sapo reventado, plof, plof. Sapo no ve, ni hombre de mirada, única ve, pegadito, chatito, 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 no chanchito. Chatito sapo, no tiene N de chanchito, N de no puedo despegar del piso del terruño, si tiene seco cerquita mío como tú sapito, lindo, lindo sapito, como tú planchadito de pelo lacio, finito, finidito, sapo, solo dice croac, croac, croac. Pero rana también dice sapo, 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 reventado de pensamiento, único dice que dice, posa, posa, esposa es sapo, mari. Posa. The toad, to change the game, not the rules of the game, André Breton. The toad squashed on the ground, plastered like a rug, like the dough from a pascualina, note, spinach and cheese pie, specific to Argentina and Uruguay, translator's note, so like a little animated drawing passed over by a steamroller by a knee, the toad plastered, plastered, plastered on the surface. The toad doesn't watch, it's a squashed toad, not made into a paste, not a paste, pounded smooth, toad pancaked against the surface of the ground, slim little toad if it were to get up, but no. Toad prefers to be flattened out of love for the floor, out of easy infatuation, a tin plate, narrow, slim, potato chip, toad, 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 chip. Toad has only one thought, maybe to be a slim frog, but no. Cranwell is generic, like a Batrachian squash toad with open legs, flat, flatty, still green, something coming out onto the plastered, something leaking out of him, flatty like him, something similar to viscera. If toad were to have something more on the surface, Surface. Toad burst, plof, plof. Toad doesn't see, even a man with his singular gaze sees. Stuck, flat, flatty, flatty, not nasty, flatty toad. Note. The original here creates a play between chatito, flat, snub-nosed with a squashed or smashed face, and chanchito, piggy, dirty, or filthy. And then in the next line, picks up that play by saying the toad doesn't have the N of chanchito, the N of no puedo despegar del piso, I can't unstick from the floor or ground. In other words, in addition to having to locate multiple ways to describe this toad as squished, flattened, plastered, etc., I color-coded Virginia's use of all those synonyms in the original to be able to keep track of which term to use at which moment in the text, I needed to find a word for flat or squashed that could transform via the shift of just one or two letters into some kind of expression of filth and or piggishness, and that transformed word needed also cont to contain either an N or another letter I could make into a negative to express no puedo despegar del piso. 
My first few attempts were unmentionable. In an earlier draft, I tried out squished and squalid, and then L as in unable to unstick from the ground, but numerous things about that solution felt unresolved and unsatisfying to me. I'm not sure that nasty is totally resolved and satisfying, but it's certainly closer. Translator's note. Uh, stuck, flat, flatty, flatty, not nasty, flatty toad doesn't have an N as in nasty, as in no, I can't unstick from the ground of the lot. It is indeed dry, quite close to me, as you are, little toadlet, pretty, pretty toadlet, like you, ironed flat with straight hair, fine, finite, finite, toad only says croak, 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 but frog also says toad, 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 bursting with singular thought, says what it says. So toad, sowed toad, so wed toad wife, but her fly. Note, here is an attempt to describe how the Spanish functions in this line. Posa, posa, esposa, es sapo, mariposa. Posa means pose in third person singular from the verb posar, to pose inverts the word sapo, toad. Posa posa contains the word sapo, toad, and contains the word sapo inverted. It's the word posa twice. Esposa means wife, also as a verb is the third person singular of to handcuff, and contains the word posa. Es sapo means is a toad. Mariposa, mariposa is butterfly, but also suggests a woman named Mari poses. The closedness of the word toad, bookended by consonants, in comparison to the open phonemes of sapo, continues to irk me. No matter how much I repeat toad, toad, toad to myself, which turned into T-O-W-E-D, toad, and to wed, and then S-O-W-E-D, sowed, and so wed, yet resists the tongue-slipping sonic elisions and collisions of Virginia's line, I can't find a wife in the word, or really much of any aperture into which to wedge a sassy, froggy, feminist analysis. It took me many hours of sitting in front of the computer writing word lists and petting Pancake the Cat, and then one fortuitous bike ride along the Los Angeles River to come up with even a draft version of this line I'd be willing to share with Virginia let alone with other readers. And I'm still thinking it through in dream life and waking life. Translator's note. Okay, there's one more of these. I have the impulse to ask if you can stand one more, but I hate it when people do that, so I'm not gonna ask. Recorrido, ambulatorio, moderato a dos voces. Para llegar allá, viaje en un 121. Allá está la rambla. La rambla. Para llegar, esper, espere el ómnibus un ratito. Es el 121, no el 370. ¿Me avisas en libertad? Sí, claro, la próxima es libertad. La próxima es libertad. Pero casi siempre la próxima es libertad. Antes viene obligado. La conoces, ¿no? Ahora, cuando estés por llegar, fíjate en Coronel Alegre y seguí de largo, seguí de largo. Ahí viene la rambla. 
Si la memoria no me falla, en 26 de marzo hay un discount bank. Sí, en 26 de marzo la agrupación agrícola y antes, un poquito antes, cuidado con chucarro, ahí llama meta. Te espero en 21 de septiembre o si querés, después de Libertad de Obligado y de Santiago Vázquez, me paro y te espero donde digas. Digítame, tímbrame. No se pierdan la radio El Beso del Osito. Cómo me gusta tu beso me provoca, cantábile. Cómo me gusta mojar tu corazón, llámame. Ambulatory Tour, Moderado, for two voices. To get there, take the 121. Over there is the boulevard, the B-Blah-Levard. To get there, wait for the bus a while. Wait a farther wait. It's the 121, not the 370. Will you let me know when we're at Libertad? Yeah, sure, Libertad is the next stop. Libertad is next. But almost always, Libertad is next. And before that comes Obligado. Note. Libertad and obligado are street names, but they're also common words slash concepts, liberty or freedom, and forced or obliged, respectively. Translator's note. You know the stop, right? Now, when you're about to get there, look out for Coronel Alegre and continue all the way, continue all the way, then comes the boulevard. If my memory doesn't fail me, on 26 de marzo, there's a discount bank. Yeah, on 26 de marzo, the agricole company, and before that, a little before that, Keep an eye out for Chucarro. Note, Chucarro is the name of a street in the upper middle class neighborhood of Positos in Montevideo. Alejandro Chucarro, 1790 to 1884, was a political figure prominent in the early days of Uruguayan independence. Virginia thinks of this poem as a sort of bus tour that creates a cacophonous political and referential collision because of the confluence of street names that appear along the route. Most of these would not be legible to readers unfamiliar with Uruguayan political history. Here, the translation exceeds the original, perhaps. Non-Uruguayan readers of Spanish might not pause to ask why 26 de Marzo or Santiago Vázquez are meaningful as anything other than street names, as historically significant dates and personages are commonly used to name Latin American streets. And a reader might simply assume they reference some important event or person without investigating further. However, because of the formatting Virginia used for the word chucarro, and the word chu, or the part of the word that says chu is in all caps, I asked her about that term, which unleashed a much more detailed explanation of the political nuances of the nomenclatures along the 121 bus route. Reading as a translator, inhabiting the not knowing that translation both requires and invokes, exposed complexities in the original that translation of the words alone could not possibly address. Virginia says, the text is a sort of bus tour along different streets that by one of those weird coincidences of existence reference political twists of fate, like for example, the intersection of a street that's literally called Coronel Alegre, Happy Colonel, with 26 de Marzo, which is a militant leftist political group in Uruguay. Virginia thinks of Chucarro as resonating homophonically with two cars in English, on a street where one might easily see fancy cars. And further, in addition to public buses like the 121 that traverse that street, there is a proliferation of homemade horse-drawn carts called carros in Spanish, driven by people who collect trash and recycling to resell. 
Virginia notes, in the midst of a charming and coquettish city, this reality pierces through of animal force and human traction. Yeah, on 26 de marzo, the agricole company, and before that, a little before that, keep an eye out for Chucarro. Call me when you get there, okay? I'll wait for you on 21 de septiembre, or if you want, after Libertad, after Obligado and Santiago Vázquez, note, Santiago Vázquez is another street name in the Positos neighborhood and is also the name of one of the largest prisons in Uruguay, which happens to be located in a town called Libertad. After Libertad, after Obligado and Santiago Vázquez, I'll stop and wait for you wherever you tell me to. Text me. Call me. Don't forget to listen to El Beso del Osito on the radio, How I Like Your Kisses, They Make Me Cantabile. How I Like to Get Your Heart Wet. Call me. Thank you. That was great, thank you. So five minutes and we'll be back with Robin. Welcome back. Robin Cost-Lewis is a provost fellow in poetry and visual studies at the University of Southern California. She's also a Cave Canem fellow <laughs> and a fellow of the Los Angeles Institute of the Humanities. She received her MFA from NYU in poetry. <laughs> and an MTS in Sanskrit and comparative religious literature from the Divinity School at Harvard University. What, no wave? <laughs> A finalist for the International War Poetry Prize, the National Rita Dove Prize, and the Discovery Prize. Her work has appeared in various journals and anthologies, including the Massachusetts Review, Callaloo, the Harvard Gay and Lesbian Review, Transition, Vida, Phantom Limb, and Lambda, among others. How do you get into transition? Like, what do you do? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> she has taught at Wheaton College, Hunter College, Hampshire College, and the NYU <laughs> Residency MFA in Paris. Fellowships and awards include the Caldera Foundation, the Ragdale Foundation, the Headland Center for the Arts, and the Summer Literary Seminars in Kenya. Her collection, Voyage of the Sable Venus, is forthcoming from Kanaf. Born in Compton, California. Born in Compton, California. <laughs> Her family is from New Orleans. <laughs> What are the politics of lyric? What is a lyric politics? I'm moved by what I perceive as an ironic dynamism, movement relating to the action of the dynamo in the elegant craftsmanships of the poems of Robin Cost Lewis. If we understand the ongoing practice of lyric poetry to be a mode of writerly dedication to an act of capture, then we think about a certain stillness of the quote poem the poem becomes still life. But Robin's work, being concerned with historical movement, vibrates with future thinking, with propulsion. Lyric, if of the still, of the exemplary, of the simple self and what is beside or ancillary to the self, the self seen, hypostatized, the self on tour, misperceived, 
returned from the dead, unbloodied myself. Leaky and metaphorical, parable of the lyric poem, parable of the conceptual colored museum. Lyric if, recuperation, paper cut, girl, pitching or posting up the intelligence as politicking. Against this, among the order of the minor, the order of misnomer, can't discourse, can't undo what's done been done. I see a dead calf, a gloss on virgin, lady. I seen't a story cutlass over wind. I is the black Mary of the tale of tales. You don't have to stand there looking at me like that. Don't stand there without a mirror. At the brown everywhere, I is kept. God, come get me out of California. Please welcome Robin Cost Lewis. Oh my God, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> wow, Simone, who, wow. Okay, that was so amazing. Wherever you went to, thank you. That was profound. And um, I feel like someone just told me who I was and answered a question of my life I've never been able to answer. Thank you so much. Um, okay. I swear to God, that just caught me so off guard. I, I just feel dizzy, okay. So I'm really delighted to be here. Um, I've only read her once before, and it was about six years ago. And um, I had just become a mother, and I had my baby with me, and dear friends in the back strolled him around the block so I could read, and he wouldn't cry. And several of you were here, and it's just profound to be here for that reason. It's also profound because of the history of the space and the history of this organization. It's quite remarkable to think of all the writers who have read in these rooms. It's remarkable to look out and see the writers who are in this room right now. Um, all to say that I'm very, very honored to be here. And thank you especially to Simone for the invitation to read. I am blown away by you, Jen Hoffer. Thank you, except I still don't forgive you. Jen took me on a hike in LA up a mountain and we got locked in a park at midnight at 12.30. It was really fun, except that she kept saying there were no mountain lions, and then I found this National Geographic article with all these mountain lions like dragging deer off into the bushes later. So those poems that you just read make me forgive you for that. <laughs> um, I am going to start with a poem by Gwendolyn Brooks called The Kitchenette Building. We are the things of dry hours and the involuntary plan, gray din and gray. Dream makes a giddy sound, not strong like rent, feeding a wife, satisfying a man. But could a dream send up through onion fumes its white and violet, fight with fried potatoes and yesterday's garbage ripening in the hall, flutter or sing an aria down these rooms, even if we were willing to let it in, had time to warm it, keep it very clean, anticipate a message, let it begin? We wonder, but not well, not for a minute, since number five is out of the bathroom now. We think of lukewarm water, hope to get in it. I just realized that Reginald Harris has very much a lot to do with this poem, and you probably don't remember, I wrote you a few years ago and said, Reggie, I think I'm gonna do a redux of Kitchenette Building and I'm scared out of my ass, I'm gonna get tarred and feather. And he was like, 
you can do it, go for it. And so I worked on this poem for probably, I don't know, three years. It was 10 pages long and now it's just a sonnet. So this is a redux, thank you very much you for my muse. This is a redux of Kitchenette Building. Um, most of you probably know Gwendolyn Brooks has written a lot about motherhood and desire and poverty and um, America. So she has a poem called The Mother, so this is called The Mothers. We meet sometimes between the dry hours, between clefts in the involuntary plan, refusing to think of rent or food, how civic the slick to satisfied from man and democratic. A lucky strike each we sponge each other off while what's grayed in and gray slinks ashamed down the drain. No need to articulate great restraint. No need to see each other's mouth lip the obvious. Giddy. Fingers garnished with fumes of onions and garlic. I slip back into my shift, then watch her hands, wordless, reattach her stockings to the martyred rubber moons, wavering at her garter. This is called From Two. At last, a dark, murderous lunatic to whom they are allowed to respond. Here, no one expects them to be strung up by their necks, dangled and then left to be cut down from a tall tree and not cry. No law here will require them to watch their families hurled on top of the world's bright pyre over generations without complaint unattended by rage's holiness or the clear mirror of grief. They find some chalk to celebrate. While one loads, the other lifts, then checks. Just before they ignite the bomb, they ride on its shell from Harlem to Hitler, then stand back for the camera, smiling. Verga. Verga has this fabulous, Fabulous, weird, characteristic, etymological character, characteristic in Italian of meaning both rod or stick and virgin. There's an epigraph. Women don't want the men to go into the bush because the women will only be raped, but the men will be killed. I have seen a woman who was caught in the bush by several men. They tied her legs to two trees while she was standing. They raped her many times, and before leaving her, they put stones in her vagina. This is from a testimony taken by Abshiro Adin Mohammed in Kenya in 2007 at the Dagaheli Somali refugee camp from a book called A Camel in the Sun by Fazal Sheikh. Verga. Before leaving her, they put stones in her vagina. The men will only be raped, but the stones will be killed. The bush caught many men to go into the stones. The stones will be killed by several trees before leaving. The bush tied the men to the trees in their vaginas. Before bush go to trees, they kill many stones. Many men will be caught by the trees in the bush. Several trees will be raped by the bush and then killed. Only the caught men will be stoned and bushed by the trees. Several men were caught by the trees before leaving. The men will be killed, but the stones will only be treed. The stones put many trees into the men's killed vaginas. 
By the bush, the trees were raped only several times. Before leaving, the vaginas were seen standing in the stones. I'm going to read a poem for Jen. I just decided called Dog Talk, and then I'll translate it for you. We had a conversation about indigenous languages, and I was thinking about the ways for people in a diaspora, actually English can be an indigenous language. Dog Talk. We be but broke a beverly be so billable a bar ma bows, but broke the bim, a ben, a bopa bin the bim, for bore a bear, or bore a barter or bore sabid, or bore fabood. A bans her burrs, kabeshta bins, and a bames, a beekrabits. We be bent a binglabish. A bimba braced a bit, the banimba rebased a bit, about the bus a bame to bime. And I'll do my, I don't have the poem with me, but I'm going to translate it. It's a poem called Dog Talk for Dummies. Dog talk is a childhood language that we spoke in Compton growing up. We broke every syllable. Our mouths broke them and opened them for air or water or seed or food. Answers, questions, names, secrets. We bent English, embraced it, then erased it at the same time. Um, the title poem um, from my book that's coming out, that is the craziest thing I never have said in my life. <sighs> Thank you so much. You guys have been amazing with all your letters and love. It's completely overwhelming. Um, the title poem, Voyage of the Sable Venus, is an experiment in both erasure and catalog. Voyage of the Sable Venus, the Voyage of the Sable Venus is the title of a painting. I don't know if you guys are aware of this painting. It's um, a complete exercise in attraction and revulsion. Um, it's a colonial painting, I think it's 18, in the 1830s. And it's a, a portrait of a black woman on a clamshell. It's a re redux of the Venus on the clamshell. Um, and she's being pulled by the water through celestial um, figures, classical figures, eros, cherubs, Neptune. And you know, when you first see this painting, especially if you grow up in the West, you have this kind of excitement because you know intrinsically that you've never seen an image like this in your life. But on closer inspection, you realize that Neptune is actually carrying a flag instead of his trident. He's carrying a flag of the Union Jack. And so it's a pro-slavery painting. Um, but I like the painting very much. I'm not supposed to, but I do. And I like the painting because the title seems to me very gorgeous, no? Voyage of the Sable Venus, and it tells a story. And I like the, um, if I ignore that Neptune is carrying a flag of the Union Jack, the figure is really beautiful. She's very strong. And it was also one of my um, first experiences of seeing a, a black woman, a black female figure represented in a beautiful way. Um, I could talk about that for hours, but I won't. So I decided, I should say, Allison um, um, is here from the executive director of Cabot Canham. I should say that most of the poems I wrote in this book that's coming out, I wrote at Cabot Canham. And it means the world to me that that is true. I either wrote them there or I conceived of them there. And I don't think this book would exist without Cabot Canham. I don't, so thank you. So um, while I was at Cabot Canham, I was like, well, what would happen if I just started gathering 
thousands upon thousands upon thousands of um, titles of artwork in which a black female figure was present and tried to figure out a way because Voyage of the Sable Venus is such an amazing epic. That title, that's an epic to me, right? And it's amazing that you can do an epic in five, six words. What would happen if I took all these art titles and you know broke all the grammar and you couldn't tell where one title ended and another title began? What would happen if I strung that together and tried to rethink the history of the black female figure in Western art? So I don't know, I, I, can't, I, don't, I didn't keep count, but there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of titles. Um, I rejected many and I kept some. The rules I set for myself were this, that no title could be um, fragmented in any way. I set that rule because the history of race and the history of black people in Western art is completely fragmented. So I wanted to hold it together. So no title could be fragmented or changed in any way. Art, I, I, my whole vocabulary of art had to change because I realized that uh, when I started really doing significant research over years, about a decade, that um, visual objects, that the definition of art needed to explode because there were, you know, black women were carved into the tripod of something or the bathtub foot or you name it, there was a black female figure in every object in the Western art world. I did not know that. And um, that was completely disturbing. It makes you start to think, why would that be, for example? Why would we want to have black female figures, miniature and giant, everywhere in our art will, world? Why would that be? Thank you again, Simone. Thank you. Um, and then, so I started doing research, and then I realized that um, in what I think must have been a really beautiful gesture, probably somewhere around the civil rights movement, they started erasing the complicity, the art institution's complicity, and taking colored and Negro and slave out of the tags and descriptions and putting in African American. So the other rule I set for myself was I put that back. I also called Reggie at this time <laughs> to say, how can I find it? Where's this paper trail on the archives? It's buried, I can't find it. But we know that it's to be true. You know that nobody in like 1842 or 1851 said this is a photograph, this African-American woman in a field. We know that didn't happen. Okay, the other things that, let's see just quickly, as an homage to black female artists, I included their work, whether they had a black female figure in the work, most of the work is very abstract, but a lot of my friends are women artists who are working today and I think, from the 20th century, they've just done an, an amazing amount of work and it continues. And I also inc included queer black work as well because I think especially, um, well, first of all, I think that the contribution that especially black gay men have made to the art world is a stupendo. It's just amazing. And they get absolutely no credit, partly because of the AIDS epidemic. And so it was a way for me to also honor those men who did incredibly brilliant work, visual work, who aren't here anymore. Um, the other rules I set for myself is that I often think I come from a very um, racially amorphous family that spreads every color you can imagine, but for the most part they're blonde haired and blue eyed as nobody knows they're black. So my ideas of what blackness looks like is very different from a lot of people. And so when I go into museums, I often think that someone's black like Henri Matisse's Lorette and other people don't think that they're black. So I also included people that I thought the art world wasn't smart enough to know that they were a black woman passing for white. Okay, okay? All right. Um, I forgot to say it spans 38,000 years. I'm not gonna take you on that trip. <laughs> I'm just gonna read a few poems 
and it, I'm going to read poems from the ancient um, Greek and Roman period. I'm going to try to get us through to the postmodern period and then read a couple of other short poems that have nothing to do with this. Starts with two epigraphs. The Metropolitan Museum of Art Employees Association Minstrel Show and Dance will be held at the American Women's Association. 361 West 57th Street, Saturday evening, October 17th, 1936. Second epigraph. I am anxious to buy a small, healthy Negro girl, 10 or 12 years old, and would like to know if you can let me have one. Gotta love it. This is catalog one, Ancient Greece and Ancient Rome. It starts with another epigraph by one of my favorite poets, Mahmoud Darwish. Here is your name, said the woman, and vanished in the corridor. One, statuette of a woman reduced to the shape of a flat paddle. Statuette of a black slave girl, right half of body and head missing. Head of a young black woman, fragment from a statuette of a black dancing girl. Reserve head of an African princess, statuette of a concubine, full-length figure of a standing black woman wearing earrings. Statuette once supported an unguent vase, vase with neck in the form of a head of a black statuette of a female, figure with negroid features, figures left arm missing, head of a female, full-length figure of a Nubian woman, the arms missing, bust of a draped female facing forward, one breast exposed, black, Adolescent female with long curls and bare breasts, wearing a voluminous crown, partially broken young black girl presenting a stemmed bowl supported by a monkey. Standing female, sorry, reliquary figure with crested coiffure and hands clasped in front of torso, holding a staff surmounted by a human head. Figure has prominent vagina, bended knees, and oversized head with half-open eyes and semicircle mouth that juts out from the face, some fine scarification on chest and belly, dark brown, almost black, patina with oil oozing in several places, numerous cracks on back of head and hole on the coiffure. One nipple appears to be shaved off of damaged black woman standing on tiptoe on one end of a seesaw while a caricatured figure jumps on the other end. This is from the ancient Egypt catalog. Lotus leaves, buds and cornflowers, poppies and grapes, shape and size of the relief, raise their arms, dance on tiptoe in the tomb in the relief. A little girl sings with musicians playing percussion instruments. The floor sweeper leans his broom against his skirt in order to free his arms for prayer. The curve of the sandaled foot vividly conveys the excitement of the event. Also from ancient Egypt, um, there's, of course, again, fragmentation is a consistent theme. I'm trying to figure out how to make fra fragmentation a beautiful aesthetic, how to make loss an aesthetic of agency as opposed to an aesthetic of tragedy. And so I'm trying to play with that as much as possible, not just in this work, but elsewhere. So this is from a fragmented tablets from ancient Egypt. Head of a princess with alterations, the small relief, a young gazelle on the arm of a princess, the relief at bottom, a bull, shali, preserved, is led, place 
offering partly damaged relief in the center, the beautifully carved torso, the queen who, her arms, the food, piled a table, part the relief, the center, small relief in the from the bottom shows portion, lady in waiting, in translucent breasts, her right hand is a scarf, feather fan, commonly royal two heads, the uppermost relief left, end of representation, edge indicates, angles, a room like heads, uppermost, the two, partly, small relief, disc shaped, adorning, worn, women, occasion, glories, poppies, cornflowers. This is from Catalog 3, The Womb of Christianity. <laughs> this history is so dense, it's like, how can I say this in a sentence? By the time I got to the Christian period, there were no black female figures, they totally disappeared. It was remarkable. I mean, after like, there was a black figure, woman here, there's a black woman here, here, here. I mean, like, anywhere you look, there were black women. Paintings, mostly the frames of paintings, right? I stopped looking at the painting, I started looking at the frames. I go into the museum, I drop to the ground. I wouldn't look at the art, I looked at how the art was contained. So to get to Christianity after all that intense saturation and not see any black women in any of the art was totally bizarre. And then I went on and I said, okay, I don't know where the black girls are. I'm gonna go ahead to another period and I'm gonna come back to this because I can't figure this out. And I went to divinity school, so it was really bizarre. Anyway, at some point in the middle of the night, I went, oh my God, it's the virgin, the black virgin. It's the black virgin. I mean, how weird is that, you guys? Think about it. After all of what I just read, that then she becomes an icon. The cult of the black virgin is one of the largest, if not the largest, cult of a feminine deity on the planet. The cult of the black virgin. The black virgin is on every continent and every country in the entire world. Okay? Just want to, <laughs> not to evoke a horrible moment, but just let that sink in. Okay, so... I'm going to read some from a catalog through the womb of Christianity. It's a very long catalog, but I'm going to read a little bit of it. This is called Garden of Earthly Delights, Class and Ancient History. Rainy night, Sarah is brought to Pharaoh. Pharaoh gives Sarah back to Abraham. Wild men and moors. Melancholy Moses fighting in the land of the blacks where he finds a wife historiated. Bible between two captives, three fates, Fotana de Quatre Mori, a group of the elect, group of the damned. A god on the left, a prince on the right, back to back. Solomon worshiping idols, black laborers on the case. That's a joke if you're black on the case, never mind. Okay. Black laborers on the case of Venice, black African figure at the edge of the canal, miracle at the bridge of San Lorenzo. Old limp. I, a miracle of the black leg birth of the virgin, the black bride of the song of songs, black African Diana, the good woman of color, Saint Lucy before the magistrate, pregnant, Ava, the first lady. Girl standing in the mist of heaven. Assumption, immaculata, perpetual virginity, black chapel mother. The enslavement of Our Lady, the tabernacle woman of revelation, queen of heaven of God, Our Lady of mercy, Our Lady of plain light, Our Lady of presentation, miracle mother, mother of God, patroness, your majesty virgin of the miracle church of the black Madonna. 
Um, this is from the colonial period, and it starts with uh, several long titles. Gone, an historical romance of civil war as it occurred between the dusky thighs of a young negress and her heart detail. From a series of the four continents allegory of America, of Pariba in Brazil, Israel, and Egypt, view of Rio de Janeiro from the hills. Mio años de creatividad. Alabama sketchbook, seated Negro woman looking to the left, drawing half-length image of a young Negro woman wearing a dress with an empire. Waistline and pearl, earrings and necklace, and holding a basket of flowers over her left arm, painting the slaves escaping through the swamp. The slave watching her pursuers in the Ground black woman walking in front of a board fence background plantation house and outbuildings or slave quarters in a grove of trees. Slave woman wearing a runaway. Collar with two children emaciated. Negro man eating dead horse flesh in the background. Negro man strapped to a ladder being. Lash slave woman seeing from the back her head and left profile, kneading bread and smoking a pipe parrot vendor negress, carrying her young slave woman, carrying baby and negro boy running. At left negro man at right being held by the collar, two dogs wear collars, one labeled Cass, the other expounder. On one of my last days there, I was actually there to do some research on Egypt uh, in this one particular museum. I went to many museums all over the world. I also did a lot of research online. But on my last days there, I was walking to go to the Egyptian morning, and I saw this banner. It was at the Met, and um, it was a colonial furniture exhibit. And I said, got to go see that. Got to. And I ran upstairs really quickly, and there was a rope. And it was like a room like this. And it was you know those recreations they do of plantation rooms. Why? We don't know. But anyway, OK. so. Um, I saw something far in the back, and I was like, what is that? What is that? And, and finally, I realized it was a bust of a black woman, enamel. But I couldn't see really what it was, so I looked down and looked at the card. And this is what the card said, and I decided just to lift it in its entirety. Enamel and gilt bronze marble. Clock. When the woman's left earring is pulled, her eyes recede, and a mechanism rises into place showing the hour in the right eye and minutes in the left. The right earring was originally designed to release a musical movement with the pipe organ in the bass. Um, okay, so I'm just going to skip to the postmodern period because my time is almost up. So we're now, you know, probably 1980s forward. This is called the Apex Beauty School. Darky town rebellion, tit for tat brooch, cut bean berm, balance consume. The rich soil down there, the bush shin deboning. You don't know where her mouth has been. Blackberry woman seated, woman in a blue and black dress. Stars and fireworks woman feeding bird woman brushing hair. Bathsheba at the fountain, Venus before a mirror, three wishbones in a box. Hip, hip, hooray, look away, look away. They was nice white folks while they lasted, says one gal to another. I think 
I'm going to read just one more, and it's the present, Catalog 8, and then I'll read a couple other poems and stop. Catalog 8, the present, still life of flowers with figures, including a Negro servant. I'm going to read, um, I think, two more poems, and we'll stop there. I'm looking for the last so I don't mess up. Okay, great. Felicite. Of all 300 species of hummingbirds, only one, the ruby-throated, cross the Mississippi. Somehow this matters to me. They can hover in midair. They can fly backwards. They fly 500 miles straight through across the Gulf of Mexico without ever landing. Their mouths are hollow, burnished needles, bright, sharp flutes. They sip the nectar of cactus flowers. When Louisiana meant all the land from the Pacific to the Mississippi, a grandmother of mine once owned one of the largest plantations in the entire territory. When Louisiana meant Spain, she had been a slave. When Spade sold itself back, she's listed as the sole owner of a vast plantation, a plantation so large, many of the property lines now form the boundaries of an entire county. Tonight, after 25 years, I realize I have spent my entire life avoiding any situation that might require me to say these words aloud. From that moment, I discovered her rotting inside a molding courthouse, her signature next to the plantation's inventory. I began to babble any words I could think of in four different languages, placing them in the most chaotic order possible in order not to say these words. The black side of my family owned slaves. Or her signature, Marie Pani, forme de couleur libre. Her lover was a famous judge from Sardinia. He took great pleasure in watching black women hanged inside the square to musical accompaniment. I read this about him once, then tried to see her, brown, sleeping next to him, fucking him on her plantation, on top of a pineapple bed, kissing behind his ears, sharing an alligator pear, strolling through her cane. Maybe at some point every hour, a part of me has wondered about her silently, though I didn't think so until just now. Perhaps she is the answer to the sensation I have had for years, that of another body hovering inside me, waiting for a dress. What can history possibly say? Sometimes I feel a pride I cannot defend or explain. Sometimes I smile. Into the barbed nectar of the story I have stared my whole life. Whenever someone tried to kiss me, I tucked her name under my tongue. If someone tried too long to hold me, I hid her between my legs. If they wanted to touch me there, I'd pull out her name and place the white bone under my pillow, hoping she would return, take it away, leave me a glistening quarter. 
to her son, Théodule Maripani, gave her favorite slave, a girl named Felicite. They were married. One of their children, Eloise, was my grandmother's great-great-grandmother. There's a picture I found of Eloise once, corseted in a studio, standing next to a waist-length pillar which held a luxuriant fern. But mostly, I have wondered, how does one name a slave happiness? Happiness had a twin sister, Francoise. I don't know what happened to her. Perhaps she is still out there, like us, her throat glistening a silent red. Or perhaps she is the only one who can still cross the river, the only one still flying backwards over the gulf without landing. And I'm going to close with a poem called Plantation. And then one morning, we woke up embracing on the bare floor of a large cage. To keep you happy, I decorated the bars. Because you had never been hungry, I knew I could tell you the black slide side of my family owned slaves. I realized perhaps is the one reason why I love you because I told you this and you still wanted to kiss me. We laughed when I said plantation, fell into our chairs when I said cane. There were fingers on the floor and the split bodies of women who'd been torn apart by horses during the Inquisition. You'd said, well, I'll be damned. Every now and then you change from a prancing black buck into a small high yellow girl, pigtailed, patent leather, eyes spinning gossamer, begging for egg salad and banana pudding. Or just as quickly you'd become the girl's mother, pulling yourself away from yourself. Because my whole head was covered with a heaving beehive, you thought I didn't notice. I noticed. I cried, honey. And then you were 14, and you had grown a glorious steel cock under your skirt. To brag, you rubbed yourself against me. Then your tongue was inside my mouth, and I wanted to say, please ask me first. But it was your tongue, so who cared suddenly about your poor manners? We had books, and a waterfall was falling in the corner. I didn't tell you I couldn't remember what that thing was you said to me once, that tender thing you said I should never forget. The moment you said it, I forgot it. I wondered if you thought we were lost. We weren't lost. We were lost. And meanwhile, all I could think about were the innumerable ways I would have loved to have eaten you, how being devoured can make one cry. And I hoped you liked the fresh, pleasant taste of juiced cane. You pulled my pubic bone toward you. I didn't say, it's still broken. I didn't tell you, there's still this crack. It was sore, but I stayed silent because you were smiling. You said, the bars look pretty, baby. Then rubbed your hind legs up against me. Thank you. Project has promoted, fostered, and inspired the reading and writing of contemporary poetry since 1966. Consider supporting us by checking out a reading, becoming a member, or donating at poetryproject.org. 